Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. So, I've been uh, listening, praying, and then talking last week of where we landed, because we were you know, the last thing about the weapons of our warfare and teaching on uh, what freedom is and the, the using Romans 8. And uh, I'm sorry I can't put these notes up here. And I know that I often, um, I, I'm really more a teacher than I am a preacher. And so I will really miss the notes and you may miss them this morning too. So you can kind of follow along with your bulletin, kind of old school and everything, but I got asked some questions last week after the sermon by a lot of people, and uh, and it did remind me. And then what I was studying this week, and who I was looking at, and and a couple of different people, and I watched a couple of different videos that really affected my life. And I was reminded of the uh, there's a philosopher by the name of Thomas Traherne. Some of you may know that name or may not. Um, Thomas Traherne said this. I can't remember even when he lived. It's been a while. Uh, But he said this. The single greatest catalyst to mature thinking is intense personal interaction with mature thinkers. Isn't that amazing? Single greatest catalyst to become a mature thinker. And that means that your thoughts get challenged in that, ideas get challenged, views get challenged, facts get challenged. Um, Truth, uh, what we hang on to is truth. It's good to have somebody challenge your truth. A lot of us don't like that because it's uncomfortable because we don't want to, um, for lack of a better term, think deeply in order to answer somebody who asks a deep question. Nevertheless, it's really good for us. Why? Because we grow. We mature. Um, I really think that's what it means, not just to argue, but to, as iron sharpens iron, when we exchange ideas and views on something, it should never be in the tent of putting somebody in their place. It should be sharing of, of ideas and who we are and how we go through that. And so... Uh, I got asked last week after using Romans 8.1, um, what happens when we sin? What happens? And uh, it's really strange that a couple days later, it came out again. And uh, the whole question about, and, uh, and some of it was directed at what I believe or what I teach here at New Day. And it's amazing how many people that don't go here know what I teach. Or at least think they do. And so I want to give you some uh, ways of responding to that, but also take you on the journey of this and let it, let it challenge some of your views. Let it, let it grow into maturity. You don't have to agree with me over everything. If you were smart, you would. No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Don't quote me. Um, and having... Um, one, one of the biggest ways I've been able to continue to grow is to look at different viewpoints of things and look at different understandings, different way, ways of seeing things and not getting stuck in a rut, but having somebody else's view challenge mine. I don't always agree with them. Matter of fact, 
I don't think there's any author I've completely agreed with about everything all the time. You probably, and, he, and I want to give you permission, you don't have to agree with me over everything all the time. Your view may be different than mine. Your may, view may be more right than mine. And I can learn from that. It's just how we do that, the manner in which we do that, and when it's done with, with honor and respect and exchange of ideas without getting mad at each other, and that we're not adversaries, we're not enemies, we're on a journey together, that's really, really good. And so somebody asking me that question didn't throw me at all. As a matter of fact, guess what it does? I want to dig at it more. I want to go more into it and look at it. So, starting with Romans 8, where we, what we talked about last week, it says this in verse 1, and by the way, this is not, I have to do a little preempt. Remember, chapter and verse came much later. This is a continuation of thought, actually Romans 1 all the way through 8, but especially Romans 5 through 8 is a huge and a lot, of, a lot of believers say this day, I don't really want to study or like theology. Well, everybody has theology. Theology is what you believe to be true. That's what theology is. So when you say, I don't want to study theology, well, that's like saying, I, I don't want to study air. I just want to breathe it, but I don't know what, I don't, it doesn't matter to me what it, where the air comes from. Uh, yes, it does. And it's good to think deeply with that. So Romans 8, as Paul continues his thought of explaining what salvation is and what God has done in this amazing, amazing, uh, if you will, treatise that he lays out uh, to the church both in Rome and to us. He says in Romans 8.1, and I said this is, this is a not, and I'm not trying to, to do a funny play on words. This is the great trump card of the believer given to you and I by what Jesus has done. So it says this, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This thought, this following came after he does Romans 7. So in Romans 6, i got to do a little scenario for you. He paints this picture that you're no longer under the dominion of sin. You've been made a righteous person. And that you've been, your, your spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive in you. So he stated all that in Romans 6. And then he does this. It's really one of the most humble chapters written in the New Testament. He does this wonderful thing in Romans 7 where he paints the picture of, but I'm still capable of sinning. It's amazing. Sin doesn't have dominion over me, but I'm very capable of doing it. And he says it really it throws me, man. He's just being, he's so honest here. If he put it in today's language, he's going... I don't get it. Now think about your own life. The very thing I don't want to do, I tend to be tempted to do. And the things that I know I should do, I'm tempted to blow off and not do them. But he doesn't end it there. Now remember, he's continuing to train. So he says, what hope is there for me then? Because 
I know in my spirit that sin doesn't have dominion over me. Yet I succumb to it and submit to it and do something very stupid. So stupid that it's reprehensible to myself, let alone the people around me. He says, what hope is there for me? And right at the, in a Romans, that's where you get this and it goes into Roman 8. It's one continuous eye. And he said, thanks be to God for the unspeakable gift in Christ Jesus. That he would save me. Now I'm paraphrasing. It's Lloyd's loose, literal paraphrase transition. Then he says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are, and then he uses this statement, in Christ Jesus. I am in Christ, he says. So the issue of sin then having this overwhelming, condemning fact in it that if I sin, now I'm guilty and I'm condemned. He says, no, that no longer exists because of what Christ did. What throws us today is, well, that means, lady, open up the gate. I can do whatever I want. He goes, no. That's where, that isn't what the issue is. It doesn't give you the freedom to sin. It gave you the freedom to be free from sin. Not the freedom to sin, the freedom from it. We have great, great freedom given to us. And and this is why. You have to listen to this. Because he he tells you in verse 2 what being in Christ Jesus actually means. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So what some of the things that have been said in, uh, in direction of criticizing a grace teaching or criticizing this I, I'm free in Christ now I'm not, I'm not condemned is, is that what you're saying then is you don't believe in the law you don't believe in right and wrong that's not true I totally believe in the law but I believe I've been given a greater law And that greater law was that life in the Spirit set me free from the law of sin and death. He gave me this law. So am I a legalist? I'm not a legalist. I'm free. It's quite the opposite of being a legalist. This law made me free from a law that condemned me. It gave me freedom. And how do you know that? All you have to do is read verse the next couple of verses. Because he, he lays it out so clearly. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. Did you notice that you couldn't keep it? I couldn't do it. No matter how good I was for 17 days, on the 18th day something happened and I did Romans 7. I couldn't do it. It was weak through the flesh. So he says, God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Didn't say he was sinful flesh. In the likeness, he bore that same burden that we have of being weak. 
on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh because we can't. So the condemnation that was ours from sin went into Christ in his flesh and he died. He gave his life. Why? That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. This is what's amazing. You're going to go in him. And he doesn't go there. He connects it back to Romans 8.1. Be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There comes the rub of what, why we ask the question, what about when we sin? Because the connection between are we, if we're sinning, then we're walking in the flesh rather than the spirit. And when we're in the spirit, we can't sin. Ah, Trixies. It's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying at all. How do you know that? All you have to do is read the next few verses. I, to be in the flesh means to approach God through the flesh. Then I will always be condemned. To be in the Spirit means I'm in Christ Jesus. How do you know that? Well, got some explaining to do to you as a say today okay so maybe that's done through through these series of questions what happens when we sin does it put us in a bad position with God did it change your position with God did it move you away from God how does God deal with your flesh areas in your life. Here, here's a good biblical question. Do we reap what we sow? Most of us go, no. Yeah, no. Sin can and does have consequences. It does. It has a consequence. That consequence is not condemnation in Christ. The consequence to you doing something wrong is that it hurts you and it hurts someone else. But it did not condemn you in Christ. It can't because the spirit of life is in you. And that law overcame the law of sin and death regarding your life and the spirit being alive in you. It's, it's actually, everybody's jaws should be going, huh? huh? Now remember the mature thinking thing. You've been set free from that kind of condemnation. You're no longer condemned when you sin. Not if you sin. You're no longer condemned when you sin. See, we tend to blur 
the idea of sinning in our relationship with God. And it's hard for us to really imagine that God doesn't deal with us according to our sin. Because when we sin, we feel ashamed. We know we did wrong. And we know that somehow that pride deserves what? Punishment. And we stop there. So I know what I deserve because I did something wrong. And we leave off the whole second part. And he took that punishment into himself. It's the great freedom for the believer. That the thing that keeps me going is the thing that got me in. When I believed it in my one time, I, I accepted Jesus and He came into my life and He freed me from the issue of sin, but then I sinned a week later. So what do I do with that? He freed me from the situation of my sin. That doesn't mean I don't have to, if, I did, if my sin came and hurt Joe, that doesn't mean I don't go to Joe and say, would you forgive me? I really messed up and I really hurt you. And I'm not going to make excuses. I'm capable of doing even worse than that. And so would you please forgive me? But that didn't, all of that, that whole little exchange did not change my position in God. My position never wavered. God doesn't waver in his position and says, ah, okay, A plus for you this week. B, per, pretty good, B, B plus. Saget, you're in trouble. Stay after school, you got a D minus, and you're pretty close to failure here. As human thinking. It's human thinking. It's, it's a human approach to getting things right rather than the God approach to getting things right. The best and greatest approach that's needed is this. Gaining a different perspective on what this means and understanding a way of seeing it. And that's done through understanding. And this is why I spend so much time. People say, you spend a lot of time on doctrine. Yes, it's the doctrine of the new covenant. And you have to tell yourself over and over and over and over and over and over again. I, Lord, you just preach the same thing all the time. Not enough. We can't hear it enough. Because... I don't know if you've noticed, there's a lot of sin out there. Not just the ones I do, but the ones that are done to me. How can I live in this world and not get underneath that? <gasps> Wait, there's a God who paid a penalty. Now this is what it means for you and I as believers. So, you and I believe, right? You love Jesus, I love Jesus. So... When you mess up, you probably ought to be under like reaping and sowing because I really want to see God be a just God and you probably deserve what you get, bud. Sorry. But when it's me, my really hard attitude is, man, I'm broken over this. I don't understand how I could do this. 
No, the same freedom that's mine is yours. Not only am I not condemned, you're not condemned. Your position doesn't change. You may need to come tell me sorry, but it didn't change your position. And position is key to identity. We'll we'll look at this. I hope this is beginning to make sense because our identity comes from a promise that God made to himself that you receive. The perspective then is really what happened in this new covenant that's based on grace? What does grace really mean? Um, Paul was so enamored with it and people say, why don't you just say the gospel instead of grace? Because I want to be like Paul. And he actually called it this in Acts 20. He said, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, and this is what my teachings hopefully are based in, to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. You can't disconnect the gospel from the grace of God. The grace of God is the gospel. The grace of God is the new covenant. The law came by Moses, remember from John 1? Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He was the embodiment of all grace. So this, the idea of what is a perspective? Well, it's how we look at things. And in my life, my glasses have been cloudy sometimes. Sometimes with false teachings. Sometimes with a wrong understanding. Sometimes stuff needed to be challenged over what I thought and said. So I use the scripture to place an understanding on how I perceive what I know and gives me a perspective of how I see things. And uh, a perspective is the way you understand something to be true. And how that truth affects the way you believe and live your life. Because we all live out of what we believe. We all live out of what you believe. You all have a theology. Some more mature than others, but everybody has a theology. What they believe about God, what they believe about themselves, they have a doctrine of man. Whether they acknowledge that that's a doctrine, they have these ideas of what it means in their life. So I'm here to challenge your perspective not in an immature way not trying to convince or debate that doesn't change anything for me to convince you of something was me doing it to me to debate with you is to argue a point what I want to do is invite you something to the most compelling message ever written the most compelling thing that ever happened. And ask you a question. What if it's all true? 
What if Romans 8.1 is true in your life? There's no condemnation for you ever again. What if you embraced that this morning in your heart? That no matter what happens next week, God will not move his position away from you. What if even if you make a mistake, you remain in Christ? What if that makes you think differently? What if that changes the way you approach your failures? What if that changes the way you approach your relationships and those who have wronged you? Are you really free from the law of sin and death? What does the scripture say? You've been set free. Well, how come I have sin and things seem to die? Because you're free from the law of it, not sin and death. You can still sin. You haven't been set free from completely from sin, but it doesn't have, Paul said this, doesn't have to have dominion over you at all. This was actually there. Believe it or not, the gospel was in the beginning. Right after the fall. Do you remember the two brothers that were like uh, not getting along real well? And Isn't it amazing that the first sin after the fall was family fighting? So Cain brings his offering. And remember, God, God, because of what happened, actually didn't curse Adam and Eve. He cursed the ground. Do you remember that? Cursed be the ground. That's why the whole earth needs redemption, by the way. What does Cain bring as his, as his offering to give to God? The fruit of the ground that had been cursed. And then he gives this, and he accepts Abel's, which was a complete sacrifice of something innocent, given in his stead as an offering to God. And God says to Cain, you know, sin is crouching at your door. And his desire is to rule over you. But you can rule over it. There was the seeds of the gospel right in the beginning. But his perspective moved away. And what happens? Murder. Condemnation. And God doesn't want us under that law anymore. So he took that curse into himself and dies once for all. For all time. He dies one time. He takes every bit of... We can't even imagine. When we talk about hell, we have no idea. What the, I, can't, I can't think deep enough to fathom. C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia called it the deep magic. This is deeper than what human thought is. And it was, uh, 
It's the idea that God could make it right, not because of man, really in spite of man. And He was able to do that and accomplish that so that I could live without condemnation. Hope this is making sense. The position perspective gets brought to you in a salvation experience. It took us from being in the flesh or a position of death and gave us a spiritual birth into a position of life. It's why Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again. Because you see, the, the idea of position is a new covenant idea. Yes, I'm teaching you doctrine here. The idea of your position in God is a new covenant idea. Under the old covenant, their position never changed. And they had to come back once a year and get okay. That, that still gets tries to get celebrated. It can't even be celebrated property because there's really no sin offering. Because it's been done once for all. You can't go back to it. The position enacted in there's no condemnation is the superior law of verse 2. I was given something greater. Is sin powerful? Yeah, we've watched it destroy lives. Is it more powerful than God? A couple of you are shaking your head. You see, this is really, is sin more powerful than God? What did he overcome? Sin and death. He said he made a spectacle, a perspective that we could see. He came back into life. That enactment not only puts us in a position of receiving God's life, it's also the thing that keeps us there. The position we have, we'll do this one last point. I knew this was going to be a two or three parter. The position we have of being in Christ, that phrase, is designed by God to determine, guide, and rule your performance. Another P word. Position rules performance. Because it's a greater law. Most of us have been taught the opposite. So your perspective in reading this verse is that our performance will affect our position because we failed it fudges it God's now angry with me when I sin God's very angry with me and I've disappointed and ruined put something in the way of our relationship so we ask questions today they come out like this How's your relationship with the Lord? Which when you think about it, is one of the most condemning 
things you could ask of anybody. Listen, that's what I was taught as a pastor. This is how you pastor. If you don't know what to say to them, um, so how you doing with the Lord? We immediately want to make their position insecure. What we're really saying is, how, how'd you perform? So my accountability groups, we did stuff like, is there any overt acts of sin in your life? Oh, no, 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 lying through your teeth. I'm fine, good. Or if you trusted him a little bit, yeah, I've been dealing with, but you can't tell anybody. Ugh. It's, it's, you guys, it's a perforce, perverse form. Please bear with me on this. It's a perverse form of Christianity. Because I'm, instead of freeing you from condemnation, I'm telling you, you ought to be condemned. You stink. And you can't ever do it right enough anyway, so... I guess I feel sorry for you and listen to you. What? I threw that pastoral question out several years ago. I know how they're doing with the Lord. But what about being in the flesh? Let me just read Romans 5, and I'll close with this, and then we'll get into it next week. What does God do with my sin? What, what does he do with me when I've been sinning? And I like, this has been like, you don't understand, this has been a besetting sin. We have all these wonderful, nice words that go along with that. Listen to verse 5. He explains all this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, to the things of the Spirit. It's my approach, my perspective to God. If I do it from a flesh, how you doing with the Lord perspective, guess what I'm going to find? Flesh, sin and death. The law of sin and death will be in effect right there. How do you know that? For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, listen, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. That means it's anti-God, foreign to God. It's always at war with God. For it is not subject to the law of God. What's the law of God? Connect what he said, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Nor indeed can be so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God now you were told that because you were sinning you weren't pleasing God listen to verse 9 because this, this is a clinker this is the this is the uh, you ever open a bottle of wine yeah you young people better say no you in trouble today. No, just kidding. So you use that funny little corkscrew thing to get a cork. And you, and you twist it down in that cork that's got the bottle shut up. And then you pull the two little handles down. And then when you pull it out, it goes, makes that noise. And it pops real loud. 
and you get to drink the wine? Now, beyond the, the horribleness of alcoholism, that's not what I'm talking about. I just want you to see the symbolism. Verse 9 is the corkscrew that pulls the, pulls the plug out of the bottle. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. What? You are not in the flesh. Remember position. You are in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. I'm not in the flesh. I'm not in the flesh. The spirit of God dwells in me. That's why Paul writes Romans 7. He said, listen, this is so big and heavy, it's hard for me to understand. Because I, can, I know the Spirit of God's in me, and yet in my flesh, do that. So I'm set free from being in the flesh, and I'm now being in Christ Jesus. I'm in the Spirit. Try that prayer tomorrow morning. Look in the mirror. Look yourself in the mirror and say, you are no longer in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit because the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. You are in Christ Jesus. Will that keep me from sinning? Changes your identity. I'm a different person. So when the temptation to sin comes up, I don't use a point of weakness, my flesh. I use the point of strength, my position of being in Christ Jesus. I'm in the Spirit. Suddenly, fleshy stuff doesn't have the same appeal. Does it happen immediately? No, you mature in it. Remember, Mature thinking comes from intense personal interaction with mature thinkers. I never met anyone more mature than the Holy Spirit. That's why John writes, the Spirit will teach you all things. You don't have any need to have anybody teach you. He will, he will instruct you. You just got to have yourself free from old laws and gain a new position and a different perspective. I am free in Christ. I'm free in Christ. Do I still sometimes want to do wrong? Yep, but I'm in Christ. Does it stop you from sinning? Yeah, it does. Because it makes sin null and void. The when it's taken out of the way, the temptation to do it doesn't mean what it used to. When I tried to approach it from willpower, then I try. It's like the TV controller. Don't watch, don't watch. Don't watch that. Don't 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 watch that. When I got a different perspective, I didn't even care about the TV controller anymore. It just didn't have that pull to want to. I didn't have to control what I was watching because I didn't want to watch that. Does that make sense in the position? Change my position. What do you do with the controller now? In Christ Jesus.
I'm in Christ Jesus, not in the flesh. I started praying that prayer over and over. The maturity of it started washing over my thoughts, my ideas, my view, the way I understood God, the way I understood me. I quit saying the prayers, are we okay today, God? Did you do the carte blanche prayer before you went to sleep at night? Lord, I don't know, I might have done something wrong today, so would you just wash me? No, none of you ever did that? That was a favorite of mine. Because I wanted to awake in Christ. Behold, there you are with me. So I pray this great prayer that covered everything. If I did anything that was displeasing in your sight. And he said, you, you're not displeasing in my sight. Matter of fact, you're the most pleasurable thing to me. You, you please me. You think your sin's greater than God. And you better get your heart convinced that it's not to get free of it. Up to you. Just an invitation. Remember, compel and invite. You think your stuff is bigger than God. And so you will tell God what you deserve because you were in the flesh. He says, I'm not seeing you in the flesh. I see you in the spirit. It's just... Hope this is driving home something. And uh, so let's look next week at what does God do with my sin? How does he deal? Well, as a matter of fact, let's do this. How does God deal with me when I sin? What does he do about me? Because that's the fun part. It's actually really amazing and probably not what you think. Lord, help us to think bigger and better. Big thoughts. Big idea. God, you're a big idea. Lord, I'm tired of throwing up my big stuff to you thinking it's bigger than you. So instead, I ask for the revelation of my position in you. I'm in you and you and me. That was the promise you gave. I receive it this day. You said that if you went and sent the Holy Spirit, that you would be in us and we would be in you, just like you were in the Father and the Father's in you. Just like it. I receive that today. I receive that I'm no longer walking in the flesh. I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to think by the Spirit. I want to behave by the Spirit. I want to joy by the Spirit. I want a Spirit by the Spirit. Wow. There's no condemnation for me ever again. Ever again. You don't condemn me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This new covenant promise. Thank you. I receive it. In Jesus' name. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. 
Lord, lift up his countenance upon you. Give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.